So things are not always as they appear. I had a seminary professor that told this story about when he was a pastor. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If you ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas, you might know that First Baptist Church is right across the street from the horse race track. And so he said, and his words were, you could stand on the porch of the church and see the finish line. So they decided to, and, and if you're not familiar with Baptist tradition, uh, Baptist and gambling don't usually go together. Um, so, but they decided to start a ministry for the jockeys. And so one of their church members uh, started a, a Bible study for the jockeys, and it was going really well. And um, the guy that was leading the Bible study went on vacation. So he asked the pastor to fill in for him while he was gone. Well, one of those days, the pastor had gone off to lunch, and he came back to lead the Bible study and parked at the racetrack. You're already laughing. So one of the ladies in the church, one of the old ladies who was a busybody, saw his truck there. And she was very disappointed. And the phones began to ring. Calls were made. The pastor's over there gambling. And the, the phone lines were just lit up with all kinds of things and rumors and those sorts of things. And it just really kind of blew up in the church. And so, as he tells the story, he became really aggravated with that. And his response was, that one day after he was done working, he had a staff member follow him home, and on the way home, he dropped off his very recognizable pickup truck at this lady's house and left it overnight. (laughs) Things are not always as they appear. Uh, That rumor was squelched and Everything was fine after that. But uh, everything's not always as they appear. And I tell you that because the parable, we've been talking about the parables of Jesus, the parable that we're, we're doing going over today um, is not what it appears in the first appearance. We're doing the, the widow of the persistent widow. And if you read the, the, the parable of the persistent widow, it seems to say that if I annoy God long enough, he'll do what I ask him to do. All right, that's what it seems to say when you read the story, and, uh, but we're going to talk about what Jesus was really saying. So let's look at it together, and you'll see why I'm saying that. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, in context, we have to understand that in chapter 17, Jesus has just talked about the end times. He's just talked about the second coming and how that's going to happen. And then he gets to 18, page 1051. Same page we were on last week. The parable of the persistent widow. 18.1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. 
And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, so you can see how in a one reading of that, it would be a very easy conclusion to say, if I just annoy God long enough, he'll eventually give me what I ask him. Right? Now, unlike the other parables we've talked about, in this parable, the judge is not equivalent to God. Right? This is a story that would have been very common for Jesus' time. There are two primary players in the story. The first is the widow. Now, a woman in Jesus' time really had no position, had no authority, had no recourse in the courts. Uh, they had no power. They, they, there was nothing. They, they were totally dependent on their relationship with their husband. Not saying it was right, just saying it was. Right? And so any value that they had would be based on to whom they were married. And so if they were married to a wealthy man, they would be considered an important person. Right? And, but once, once a husband died, a widow then was completely at the mercy of society. She couldn't really own property. She couldn't find employment. She couldn't take care. There, there, was, there was nothing that she could do. So what would happen many times is some distant relative, if there was no brothers of the, uh, of the husband, there would be distant relatives or people who would come in and try to claim the property of the man who died. And many times, widows were taken advantage of. It was a very common practice. And they would, uh, people would gain great wealth by taking advantage of people who couldn't defend themselves in court because the courts wouldn't listen to them. And so this widow had this problem. It was probably a very common reality where she would go, and, and so she wanted to fix it. So I, we can imagine that in this story, and, and we don't know that this is a true story, but it very well could have been, that, that she went to the judge day after day after day after day and said, look, what's happening to me is unjust. Please fix it. The second character in the story is the judge. And what we know about the judge in the story is that he was no respecter of people and didn't really care much about God. That was Jesus' way of saying he was evil. He had no relationship with God. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about religion. He didn't care about faith. He didn't care about the... And so here he is, and potentially he had relationship with her adversary. But she kept coming back. And so this, this judge kept hearing this woman, and, and he finally gives in, not because he's afraid of her, but, but probably afraid of her extended family, the males in particular. And Jesus' whole point in the story is this, is listen, if this evil judge, who would have been very familiar to them, if this evil judge can get it right, imagine what God can do. Imagine what God can do. Imagine God who is perfect and pure and holy. Imagine what he'll do if this imperfect judge can get it right when it comes to your journey. And, and he was warning them, and I think warning us. He was warning them, listen, there's going to come a time when you're going to have adversaries as my followers. There's going to come a time when they're going to try to kill you because you follow me. There's going to come a time when it's very difficult, but know when you pray that eventually the perfect God will get it right. Okay, so that's kind of the background of the story and, and kind of how it went. But there are a couple of things that I think are really, really relevant to us. And, uh, and, and I want to share those with you as we, as we kind of go through this. The, the first one is, 
It's okay to ask. It's okay to ask God. It's okay to plead. It's okay to beg. It's okay to ask. It's okay to present to him the request that you have. It's okay to lay it before him. It's okay to say, God, I I want you to heal my relative, or I want you to heal me. It's okay to say, God, I want you to intervene in my life financially. I I want you to to do these. I I want you to intervene. It's okay to ask. And I think it's important when we ask to remember who we're asking. We're asking the God who, out of nothing, made everything. We're asking the God that can do that, which is beyond our little minds to comprehend. We're asking the one who has the ability to do the impossible. And we often forget when we go into the presence of God that we are talking to the most powerful force that has ever or ever will exist. And not only is it okay to ask, we need to remember He can. He can. I'm reminded of the so many stories of Jesus as the physical representation of God on earth and the, the miracles that he did. One story that stuck out to me this week was there was a time Jesus was walking into a community and there was a funeral procession coming out at the same time. And it was a young man who had died and it was a widow's only son or only child. Meaning that she would have no one to support her anymore. And she would be stuck in a horrible situation. Jesus, the Scripture said, had compassion on her. He touched her son, and he came back to life, and she, as the Scripture says, gave her son back to her. Now, I don't know about you. I've never seen that happen. I've never seen anybody pull that off. That's a really powerful individual. And I think of other stories of Jesus, and, and it's, it, my little mind focuses on the mundane things sometimes, but, but Jesus went to Peter and John and said, I want you to go to town, and I want you to prepare the Seder for the Last Supper. Last Supper is our word, not his. And they went to town, and he said, when you go to town, you will find a man carrying a water jar. I want you to follow him into whatever house he goes to. I want you to tell the owner of that house that we're coming, and there's an upper room. You go upstairs and prepare for the meal there. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but do you think about all the things that have to work out for that to happen? Men didn't carry water bottles or water jars. That was a woman's job. Somebody had to be sick for him to pull this off. And how did he know that Peter and John weren't going to fall and break their ankles on the way? And how did he know at the exact right time for the man to be there? I don't get that. But an incredibly powerful God pulls all those things together. And it's okay to ask. It's okay to make the request. And and we must remember that who we are asking is this incredibly powerful God that can do that, that is so beyond our capacity to understand. Now, there's one caveat in all of this. Too many times, our prayers are all about asking. And scripturally, we know that what prayer is about is about a relationship with God and accomplishing God's purposes. 
And when we go to God and we say, Lord, I know it's been four years since we talked. But my cousin has cancer. Could you do something? It's totally different than the person who has a thriving, growing relationship with God and comes to them with a totally different attitude and idea. And so we need to be careful that when we ask that we don't think of God as some cosmic Santa Claus who's going to intervene and make our lives exactly what we want it to be. But it is okay to ask. It is okay to present those requests to God. Now, the, the second part of this, and I think this is just as vitally important, is that it's okay to ask and God will always get it right. That's the second part. Right? So look, look what he said. He told the story, and at the end of the story in, in verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And so the idea for the disciples was, and they didn't get it yet, is you're going to face some really tough times. And you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hurt. Some of you are going to be beheaded. Some of you are going to be thrown off the temple. So it's going to be a tough go. But God sees all of that, and he understands all of that. And in the end, he will get it all right. Because God doesn't mess this up. And so when we ask, and, and hear what I'm saying very clearly, when we ask, God will respond in the way that God wants to respond that is best for his purposes. You see, it's okay for us to ask, and it's even more okay for God to say no. And it's also okay for God to say yes, because as God, he gets to choose. And the reality is, is he is up to something that we just don't get. And his response to my prayer request today may not even have to do anything about me. It may be about somebody else 10 years from now. And I have no idea how he's working that out. And so I am called ultimately to trust. Because trust is all I've got. Because if he really is God, he's going to get it right. And it may not be made right until my life's over, but it's going to be made right. He is that big and that powerful and that organized and that smart. He's going to do exactly what needs to be done to accomplish his purposes. We had staff retreat this weekend, and um, I shared with them some things out of this book. It's a daily devotion that I read. It's called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Uh, he was a Scottish pastor uh, that died around the turn of the last century. Uh, but it's a, it's a classic book. And this morning, I was, as I was reading, he had this paragraph. And uh, I thought it was very amazing and appropriate that God would pull this off. He says this, God called Jesus Christ to what seemed unmitigated disaster. Jesus Christ called his disciples to see him put to death. He led every one of them to the place where their hearts were broken. 
Jesus Christ's life was an absolute failure from every standpoint but God's. But what seemed failure from man's standpoint was a tremendous triumph from God's because God's purpose is never man's purpose. See, when we come to God and pray, and we pray believing and knowing that He can, and really James says, if you don't believe that He can, why are you even asking? You're wasting your time in His. But like Jesus in the garden, He came to the Father and said, Father, if there's any way, let's not do this. But not my will, but yours be done. You see, a heart that is pursuing Christ seeks in prayer to find God's purposes, and we trust. So I'm going to show you a video, and it's a video of a, of a man, a Christian, a fellow believer in Christ from Burma. And his story is a little different than any of us really will ever experience. For more than 20 years, Burma, my homeland, has been in a civil war. Most of the men are forced into either slave labor or the army. So 17 years ago, my family and I fled Burma along with two million other people and came to Thailand. The Thai government allows us to live here, but we are not considered citizens. My name is P. Chui. I'm 30 years old. My wife's name is Jane and my son's name is Big. When I first became a Christian, my parents were very upset because they are Buddhists. They sent me a letter asking me to quit being a Christian. They felt I disrespect them and betrayed the family. This made me very sad. But I know that God is with me and looks over me. Because I know God, I'm happy. I'm at peace. Since we are not Thai citizens, it is sometimes difficult trying to find work. But God has a plan for us and has provided a job doing constructions on a new housing development. In the beginning, I didn't know much how to do the job. So I pray and I ask God to give me the ability. My co-workers all know that I'm a Christian. Some of them make fun of me, mock me, calling me Jesus because I'm not Buddhist anymore. It doesn't matter what they call me. I just do my job, I'm honest, and work as hard as I can. 
and I know the boss will see the quality of my work. I see my job as a chance to serve God, not myself. Because we are not citizens, we are unable to stay in the same place for very long. Today, we are told we had to move out of our home. We have been given 24 hours to pack up all our things and then tear down our shelters. This happens often. We are forced to move so a new housing's development can be built. We have gotten used to moving, but it is still very hard. We just accept it. It's the only way to survive. I like in the Bible where it says to trust and to obey God. And He will take care of and protect you. And He will give you new life. I like that. And whatever happens, I don't worry because I know that God is with us and we are with Him. Hopefully one day we will return home. But whether we are in Thailand or Burma, we know we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of God's kingdom. So we're called to trust, even when it doesn't make sense. We're called to trust, even when it doesn't fit our plans. And so like our brother from Burma, you know, he said, we have to move all the time, but you know what? I trust. I trust and obey, because that's what I'm supposed to do. And so as we wrap up this talk about, uh, about this parable, I think there are several things that I, I want to point out. The first one is, is, is don't ever forget when you ask who you're asking. I, I was reminded of this in a pretty profound way a couple weeks ago. I was letting the dog outside, and there was a dead bird on the porch. I was just thankful it wasn't a mouse or a rat. Um, but it was a dead bird. And it looked like it had flown into the window uh, and just broke its neck. Um, That's probably more information than you wanted, but it wasn't a cat or anything. Um, So I was disposing of the bird, and as I did, it it, it dawned on me that passage that Jesus said, you know, any time a sparrow falls from the sky, God knows. I was like, you know, God knew when this bird ran into the glass door. And he knew that it had died. And I thought, you know, how much more valuable am I to God than this bird? Thank you, Lord, that you know what's going on in my life. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you're a part of this journey. And I realize, you know, there are times in my life that I pray for things and I don't get them. 
And I just have to trust. That he's up to something bigger than me and more important than me and something I probably can't understand. And the truth is I don't have to when I trust. The second thing that I want to point out is don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. I've been blessed through this journey of ministry uh, to be a part of seeing uh, so many people be healed physically, uh, emotionally, and see marriages that are healed and, and see God do things that were just impossible. And it's not because I'm a great prayer. It's because of the one I pray to. And so I know that he can. I've seen it so many times. And so um, don't be afraid to ask. But then the last thing is, is trust his response. Trust what he decides. Because sometimes I have to step away and have to say, you know what, this may not even be about me at all. It may be about someone else. And I have to realize that someone else's soul is more important than my happiness. Someone else's soul is more important than my comfort. Well, that's hard. But it may be the reality. So, every day, I pray for my brother-in-law who's been fighting cancer since 2011. Every day. And it seems like every year he has another round or two of chemotherapy. But I keep praying. And I very blatantly and bluntly ask God, please, take it away. And I specifically pray, please let him live a long, cancer-free life. But he keeps fighting. And recently, um, he's been given an experimental treatment. And so as he's taken, it's four little pills that he takes every day. And... um, so they took a biopsy of his tumor, and before he started, then he started taking these pills, and a month later, they went back to do the next biopsy, and there was nothing to biopsy. Has he been healed? Don't know. Is this working now? Yes, it is. But I'll keep praying. I keep asking. And I trust the results to God, to whatever he wants to do. because he's going to get it right. Let's pray.